0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the One Talk podcast. You're here with your host, Ryan McCarthy. And today we are joined by Drew McManus from Satsang. Now, on today's episode, we touched on so many different topics and we went into so many journeys around mindset shifts and about life and about lessons that Drew has learned and also myself. And we also went deep on addiction and overcoming addiction. And we touched on Drew's music and how he taps into his creative side so he can really. Get the most out of himself and really make great music and we touched a lot on rap and hip-hop too and Drew's journey and we also touched on a lot of my journey but within today's episode we just shared so much different insights so much different pieces of valuable information and experiences that really did create a, a really awesome episode and it's one that I enjoyed being a part of and it's also one that I really enjoyed listening back to Drew's an absolute legend his music is incredible so please go check out his music and then also please enjoy today's episode. In other news, if you could please leave this podcast of rating, it means so much in terms of helping this podcast grow and reaching a larger audience and getting that message out there. But without further ado, let's welcome Drew. Thank
1: y'all. Thank you the marathon continues. Victory lap tonight, though. Victory lap tonight,
0: Welcome to the One Talk Podcast with Ryan McCarthy. The continues,
1: that's what you would say.
0: Welcome, Drew. How are you, bro?
1: I'm doing really good, man. I'm doing really good. How about you?
0: Yeah, doing well too, man. Thanks for coming on. I I want to start this episode with a story, actually. I told you a bit before how I came into your music, but I want to give it into more detail and the impacts of your music, especially the way it can travel into other countries and the other side of the world and reach people's hearts. Um, So the way that I found out about yourself and your songwriting and your music was I was at the start of my journey of looking for self-love. I was at the start of my journey of finding acceptance within myself and just a journey of like self-improvement. And I remember I was at this event on the beach up in the Sunshine Coast and we're doing a breathwork meditation session that went for about an hour. And after the meditation session, probably like the last five minutes, they played I Am, one of your songs. I remember listening to the lyrics, like it felt like you were speaking to my soul, you were speaking to my heart. And ever since that day, this is about three years ago, but ever since that day, most of the times I finish a meditation, that's my first song I put on to really feel connected with myself. And ever since then, I've just been a huge fan of your work, a huge fan of your songwriting, the message you push, but also the insight that you bring within yourself but the way it can relate with the world too but i just wanted to start off with our story man because i absolutely love the work that you do
1: thank you man yeah that's a beautiful story i get a lot of stories super similar to that you know like um you know it yeah it makes me happy that the music is being used in those spaces um a lot of people have stories too of being you know ayahuasca ceremonies or whatever in and, and that being what they kind of closed out the ceremony with and it, yeah it's just you know I never I didn't really ever know where the um you never know what the place for your music is and it's cool that mine's found such a special one it really attaches to people's stories because it's used in those spaces you know it isn't just like background you know background noise for people
0: yeah do you find it like a massive trip when you're and like when you go travel around the world and you're hearing people's stories and like, Oh crap. Like I didn't know it actually reached this far of the message, reached these people in these other countries with other cultures and they relate to the same message.
1: Yeah. 100%. Like, I mean, the stories are always crazy and it's actually taken a lot of practice to like, cause dude, you know, people have said some very heavy shit to me. Mm. And it's taken a lot of practice to learn how to like hear them without carrying them. But, um, yeah i mean like coming to australia i mean we you know i can look at my streaming data and you know like uh byron bay there's like a few p- places that have always been in the top 10 of streaming but i had no idea it would be like it is you know every one of the shows that i played in australia was crazily well attended you know it just i had no idea um so yeah it's absolutely insane to me it's really humbling
0: yeah, because like something I want to ask too that I'm very curious about because I've worked in like the mental health sector for quite a few years now and one of the big things working in there is about like how do you not take on other people's energy when they do share their stories? And for someone like yourself who travels the world, travels so much but also connects with so many people like how do you find to not absorb too much energy and still look after yourself?
1: Um, Very carefully. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> think like... um. I have this memory, um, my, uh, we'll call him my uncle. Um, he came to a show in Seattle. It was a sold out show. Um, and he had never seen me play before. You know, we didn't really know each other under that pretense. You know, I was just, uh, married to his niece and, um, he's a deep dude, you know, like very, very deep dude. Um, pretty much practicing Buddhist like he's he's a wild guy, much older. Um, but it, because it was the last show, a tour, I went out to the merch booth after the the show to like sign stuff and take pictures. And so there's this whole line of people talking to me, telling me these crazy stories. And he like cuts through the line and comes up and gives me a hug. And in my ear. The healing is real. The adoration is not these people do not know you. And then he kissed me on the cheek and left. And it's uh, it's a mantra that I still tell myself all the time because people say that a lot, right? I love you. I'm like, well, you don't actually know me. But um, but the healing is real. And it, and it means a lot to me, too, because I'm such a music fan myself. Um, I love it in a way that I just can't explain. So when someone says something like, you know, your song got me through this or I was feeling like this and then I heard your song and it made me feel like this. Like, I know how powerful that is because I have music that does that for me every day, you know? So it's, yeah, it's just such an honor. But, you know, I think when I can look at it through the scope of that, it's like, well, I'm not really this music. I'm I'm the channel for it, but I am not the music itself. So I didn't do anything. I created a thing and then the thing I created did that.
0: Yeah. I saw a way that you um, like, when I was listening to the other podcast With Cameron, you're talking about how like your writing style and how you let things come to you. Because sometimes when you you force like a certain topic or when you force a certain writing style, it can feel like so much blockage. Hey, but when you really just be present in the moment, experience life, which I think is a huge factor, really messages just download to yourself, and then that way you can feel more expressive in that sense. Does that relate?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and it and it takes practice. you know, I saw Nas and Wu-Tang in October. Um, huge, huge fans of both of them. But I've Nas has always been my my favorite. I, you know, everyone has the like, what's, who's the top five? I think Nas is number one. And there's, to me, there's not even a debate, but um, yeah, I mean, everything he's, but he's put out more music. Like if you're looking at amount of music put out, quality of music put out, longevity, uh, variance of topic vocabulary i mean he's just the nastiest of all time but um seeing him was really profound for me and we had really good seats and there was like this moment where he was like in between songs and he just kind of posted up at the front of the stage at the mgm you know it's like seventeen thousand people and i could just see this dude like soaking it up and it hit me like this is greatness he is great he's not good at what he does he is the greatest of all time he is great at what he does And I didn't sleep that night. I was like up thinking like, yeah, dude, you're pretty good. You're good at what you do. But like, you're not great yet. So that was like, okay, well, what do I got to do to be great? So since uh, the beginning of October, every morning I make myself uh, wake up and I write 36 to to 52 bars, or I mean, 32 to 48 bars. And um, I just make myself write. But that's kind of the rule of thumb. Like, I don't try to write anything. I just surf through beats. And when I find a beat that, like, feels really good to me, that, like, matches the mood that I'm in, then I start writing. Um, and I just get out of the way. And so while that is the process, I've also found the speed at which it comes through because I'm constantly opening the channel every single day. Mm. It's like, it's crazy, bro. It's Like exercising your mind. It's that's exactly what it is, you know, and I used to meditate every morning and read and journal and I've replaced all of that with writing. I'm like, no, this is my meditation. This is my journaling. It's all of that in one. Um, so, yeah, but when I write, I would never, you know, I'm really self-critical about shit that I make, too. So, like, if I ever felt like something was forced, I would throw it away. I wouldn't share it with anybody. Um, yeah. And I mean, so many of the songs like I am. I wrote that so fast and I didn't think shit of it when I wrote it. I was just like, oh man, that felt good to write down. Mm. You know, I didn't, I didn't (laughs) think anything of it.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, could you talk to me about like the writing process of I am? Yeah. You know, so what's a really funny
1: thing about how I write is I've always written, um, I guess, stylistically hip hop songs, Mm. but because of the, instrumentation that was available to me i had to i had to use an acoustic guitar so it it came out as a different vibe and i'm like well we can't just rap over an acoustic guitar you know so i made it kind of sing-songy but like grow that's a hip-hop song um i am it's three hip-hop verses um especially the first two you know i wrote them i just kind of always have a boom bat playing in my head regardless but so typically that's how i write like unless you know, I got, I dived really, really deep into Americana for a couple of years um, during COVID because I was just home and outside all the time and working on a ranch. And then I started writing with the guitar, like really intentionally would find a cool chord progression. But the, the, the process is still the same. It happens so fast, man. Mm-hmm. Like if I have a sentence that like lights me on fire, the song's done. Like it's going to come yeah. out super, super fast. Um yeah, everything that I've put out, I would say, I think every song except a song called So Far has been probably written in under 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, well, that's just that's yeah. just something that works for you too. But also mm-hmm. like with your music as well, I can definitely tell it sounds rappy, but it's like melodic. And I think that's why I resonate with it so much because growing up, I was heavily influenced by rap. Like my older brother had like one of these big CD cases and he used to ban all the CDs of all the best rappers. And I remember... And I was like eight or maybe six years old. My first ever album I listened to was The Doggy Style by Snoop Dog. And then from there, I listened to Illmatic and I just became obsessed with rap. And that was just like ever since then to now, I absolutely love it. And like my own way of like writing gratitude, affirmations or journaling is through writing music. But I do it like poetry. But for me, it's like a good way to express yourself. You find the same. Like no. It's very peaceful. It's very, it's like just a good way to get the mind back to calmness.
1: Yeah, and for me, sometimes, too, I don't, um, I don't always know what's going on in my head, in my heart, um, and especially recently with, uh, you know, I'm working on this hip-hop project right now, and recently, man, some of the shit that has been coming out of me has been really deep, you know, and it's made me really kind of dig of, like, oh, this is, this is where this like slight discomfort that I've been feeling is coming from. Like I'm still working through this thing because when I open that channel, um, I never really know what's going to come out. So for me, it's like, I like puke out this mirror and then I'm like, looking at it and I'm like, Oh damn son. Like we still Mm -hmm. are struggling with this or we're really excited about this or we have closed the book on this. You know, it's such a teacher for me. Um, and, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think writing is, it's such a therapeutic thing. And if you can practice enough that you don't think when you do it, it's like, I think that's why, you know, there's all these morning routines that encourage people to journal in the morning. I think the reason that's such a good time to journal is because the world hasn't touched you yet.
0: Yeah. Like you, you can stay.
1: Yeah. You know, you, you just came out of a rest state. And if you stay away from your phone, then the world hasn't touched you yet. You haven't gone outside. You haven't interacted with anyone you haven't seen any bad news, you know, it's like, you're still, you know, you're connected with yourself in a really special way in the morning. That's why I always work in the morning. Um, I just, I feel like, I feel like a really different person in the morning than I do in the afternoon,
0: you know? Yeah. It's because like in the afternoons, usually you have like an overload of information that you have to process of everything that's happened during the day. And if the first thing you do in the morning is jump on your phone and get involved with all the chaos that's happening, straight away your mind's going to be just, running like do, 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 do. it's like what are you actually giving yourself or what time are you actually giving yourself to process how you feel and actually just be present with yourself and actually just like wake yourself up naturally
1: <laughs> yeah it's a trip you know and i'm such a busy dude when i'm home um i'm just busy all the time i guess because i'm even busier on the road but you know i'm a pretty much a full-time mma coach when i'm home so um and a dad and I paint and I'm working on music, right? Right now I'm working on more music than I've ever worked before. I'm putting at least three, four hours a day. In. Um, so it's like, I can't, you know, like I can't, um, if I get into my day, dude, I'll start thinking about my fighters. And then I, I always, the other thing for me too is from like 11 to two, I have sessions. And then my son gets out of school at two 20. And then I go back to the gym at like six and I'm there from six to nine. So it's like, it's really, if I wanna get work done, you know, it's really the only time for me to do it is if I wake up early and get after it. So, it's just like ingrained in my. And I think we can train ourselves too, you know. So I think my brain, when it's in that just woke up state, it knows what time it is. It's like, oh yeah, this is where we this is where we get artsy. You know, this is the artsy time of the day.
0: Yeah, I usually feel the most creative in the morning too. I find
1: yeah, yeah, I do one hundred percent, and and I like. It it is insane. You know, I literally wake up, brush my teeth, go pee. I make a drink um, that is just like um, um, a lot of like adaptogens and some caffeine and BCAAs for my muscles. Um, And dude, usually when I'm about halfway through that is when I start playing beats Mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know, still kind of struggling to keep my eyes open. And then once the beats come on, it's like, okay, now we're waking up. So for me, it's like when I'm writing is when I kind of start waking up and like, Then I leave the house. I'm so fucking stoked about the rest of my day. I'm like, I already just smashed these verses. Like I already worked out, you know? So yeah, it's the way for me.
0: Mm, It's like the ripple effect of doing what works for you. And then everything else follows from that. So start your day well, because you probably know if you ever have the odd morning where you just, you wake up and you go on your phone and you slug around for a bit and then you have to try and get into your day after that, it feels so much harder, so much heavier. That's why now when I get up, I attempt to get up and go stand in the sun for like 15 minutes and just attempt myself to wake up. And then that way I slowly get my day moving. Cause I feel like if I wake up and I'm in a rush straight away, you know, I'm getting in traffic and I'm rushing the traffic and I'm rushing to get a coffee and too many things are happening at once, but I really nurture myself in the mornings. So it feels like the rest of the day has a ripple effect from that.
1: Yeah. And I think that's just it. Right. Is that like, um, nobody likes that feeling of playing catch up it's like one of the worst most stressful feelings in the world so like for me you know i don't always sleep great um god i just got such a busy brain sometimes especially right now i have so much shit going on so it's like for me though if i let myself sleep past 7 a.m that's how i feel the whole day i'm like i prefer to be up by six um and on wednesday mornings i teach a jujitsu class at 6 30. So I got to be up by like five thirty. Um, and man, that's when I feel my best, because damn, dude, like the other day, I you know, I got home Tuesday night. And then Wednesday, I was like, no, I'm going to dive right back into my life. So I, I woke up, I taught my jujitsu class, I went and lifted, I got home, showered, worked on music, um, and I felt like I had lived a whole damn life. And I was like, oh, it's ten thirty. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's 30 in the morning, and I already feel like I've just absolutely kicked the shit out of my day. Um, So for me, I'll sacrifice sleep for that. You know, if I don't fall asleep until two, like I'm still waking up at seven, because I have to, otherwise, I'm playing catch up the whole day. And that's my least favorite feeling in the world.
0: Mm. Hey, Amen. You feel like jujitsu helps with your creative outlet as well? Because I feel when I exercise and go to the gym, because one thing is, I've never been to the gym and regretted going. And two, every time I go, I feel more energized and motivated to do something epic. Now, does that feel the same with you?
1: Yeah, jujitsu jiu- and lifting weights too. You know, like that's such a huge part of my day. Um, yeah, I mean, I would not be who I am without martial arts. You know, if it wasn't for for MMA, um, you know, in jujitsu, I always like say like if I had to pick a religion that's what I would say. I would say that jujitsu is my religion, man. It's taught me so much about how to live my life and uh, how to deal with problems and stress and um, God. Yeah. I just, I'd rather you cut my legs off than take it from me. And like, um, but that thing, I think that's the thing, right. Is people look at exercise as like, Oh, that's going to drain me. You know, that's going to be exhausting. And for me, yeah, I'm with you. For me, it's like the opposite. Like when I get done with a workout, like as soon as I've caught my breath again and kind of like recovered, I feel like I just got an energy enema, you know, like I feel (laughs) full of energy. I feel like that workout gave me energy. So, and I think it probably takes a while, you know, it takes probably some consistency to get in there, but yeah, man, those are mandatory for me. Um, Sunday is the only day that I don't lift and train, Mm. you know, other than that, I, train jujitsu and i usually coach i have at least one boxing session a day um and i lift six days a week like i have to it's like yeah it's just a non-negotiable train.
0: <laughs> but like you said the amount of energy it gives you but also just how much it makes you feel good too because with myself like i train about six days a week and then the days i don't train i usually go for a walk with the dogs as like my rest day but still doing body movement because i yep. feel like if i don't move the body i feel stuck and it feels like I need to like burst energy out somewhere, but I feel like if I don't put that energy somewhere, it ends up internalizing within myself. That's all creating problems for myself in my own mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a. Um, that's a big part of my personality that I like. Just kind of started working on is the creation of problems. I like. I love to problem solve. I like having shit to go through. I like having a mountain to climb. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to find healthy ways to do that, and I think the gym. Um, and having goals in jujitsu and having goals as a coach um, is a really good way to do that rather than like, you know, uh, creating relationship hardship for myself. And yeah, I just, bro, I used to, you know, I used to just make these mountains for myself to climb because I just feel so at home and chaos.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I would I would create it. So I had something to go through.
0: I feel a, a men relate with that like how great they feel when they're on the conquest of conquering something. You know? cause I feel like it's in our DNA, but now transition the terms into conquering something that's beneficial. That's going to bear yourself and the people around you and create something great and be able to be on that conquest to do that. Like how do you find with yourself? Like have an appreciation for everything you've done to get you to where you are today, but also still be on that conquest to become greater and better.
1: Um, yeah for me, the work is never done. you know, I just like I don't think I think my personality I allow myself every so often to and usually it's at the the suggestion of someone close to me that I take a moment uh, to be proud of myself, you know, or at least address and assess uh, growth, you know, where I was a year ago to where I'm at now and and stuff like that. and But for me, man, like you could give me everything and I'd still find something, you know, it's just like, um, I think that's why I'm so drawn to jujitsu, right? Because it's like, you never get to the end of it. Mm. Like even the best in the world has something they still probably aren't that good at.
0: Always becoming.
1: Yeah, there's just always something to learn. It's bottomless. There is no, okay, you did it. You know, all of jujitsu. Cause it's changing every day. Um, and fitness too, right? Like you're never going to have a workout where you get done and you're like, I did it. We are done fitnessing. I just like I've reached the pinnacle of fitness and I no longer need, cause even if you had your dream physique and your dream energy levels and all of that, you'd be like, well, now I must maintain it. You know, now I have to keep working to maintain it. So it's like, that's why those two things are so important for me is it's, um, something that isn't professional. Um, that's mine, you know, like your fitness journey is yours and mine is mine. And my jujitsu journey is mine. Like these are my things that have nothing to do with music. And I think that's a really important thing for me too, that I have stuff outside of music that, um, that lights me on fire.
0: Mm. I think that's an important message too, you know, like continuing to always becoming on something whether it's gym whether it's jujitsu, whether it's business whether it's music or whatever relates to so on because if you look at a flowing river and the river's flowing usually it's healthy water to drink but if you look at still water it's usually toxic you wouldn't drink it but the flowing water it's constantly moving it's constantly going places and usually it's the most purest water and i see that with ourselves as humans like the more that we build towards stuff the healthier it is for ourselves because I feel like if you do get to a point where you feel too much satisfaction and you stay still, you'll end up just becoming toxic towards yourself.
1: Yeah, I, I've i seen that. <laughs> I've seen that in so many people close to me. It's like, yeah, that's just it, man. That like stagnancy, I think in that comfort is like the enemy. Mm. You know, like we, um, Marvin Hagler once said like, He's one of my favorite boxers of all time. And he, when he had a fight coming up, this man was rich. You know, this dude was rich. Mm. And When he had a fight camp coming up, he would go deep up into the Northeast in the middle of winter and, you know, live in like a shithole cabin and run on the beach every morning, you know, run on this frozen beach. Uh, and he had this saying, like, it's hard to want to be the champion when you wake up in silk sheets. Mm. So he would purposely put himself in this discomfort. Like I need to win this fight so I can get back to my house. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> and I think that's like, I it's just such a good metaphor. Um, and I don't, I also don't know anybody, like all of the happiest people I know are people that are actively working towards goals. I think, like you said, I think it's such a part of our DNA to want to overcome and conquer and grow. And we get a lot of joy out of evolution. You know, we don't yeah. get much joy stay Staying put, most of the miserable people I know feel stuck. That's what they would tell you. I feel stuck. Mm. Like, it's hard to feel stuck if you're constantly working on something, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, if you constantly have a goal or a mountain to climb. I actually had someone say to me the other day, they said, Oh, if you won the lottery, would you just retire? And I'm like, No, like, I'd like probably, I wouldn't go even harder because I'm going pretty hard now. But I'd still stay on the same pace and continue the marathon to becoming better. And that's why I love the Nipsey Hustle. I'm sure you'll relate with me as well because. He says the marathon continues, but also in one of his songs, he says, prolific, so gifted, I'm the type that's going to go get it. No kidding. So he states that he's prolific. He states that he's so gifted. And if you see his life and where he is at before he passed away, it looks like he has everything. But it was still on that marathon that continued to get more, be more, to become better spiritually, mentally, emotionally, but also financially, musically. There were so many aspects he was aspiring towards to be greater than. And that's why I love the whole aspect of just the marathon continues
1: yeah it's something that i say to my boys a lot you know i like i think that's exactly it you know aside from really loving nip's music um you know he was just so much so much more than that and he laid out this framework um of self-determination and you know the other thing that really tied me to him uh that made me feel so connected to him was I didn't know anyone that was owning all their own music, Mm. you know, and I've been obsessed with it since I started when there was no, there was something about it. I didn't, and I didn't know much about the business when I started, I didn't like the idea of someone owning shit that I made. Yeah. Um, and the amount of friends that I have in the industry that sell five times as many tickets than me and have five times the streaming numbers and half the money, you know, it's just a like, you know, I have some homies that do that optically look like they're doing so well. And then they ask me all the time, like, bro, you look like you're doing real well. Though. And I'm like, yeah, bro, because I fucked the middleman, bro. I did this shit like I I didn't ask for money from nobody. I did this shit, you know, and if I did need money, I asked a homie and was like, yeah. you know, let me get that and I'll get it back to you. Like, I don't want a bank. I definitely don't want to label. You know, it's like. um, I, I think that. I'm going to do it myself. I can do it myself, you know, or if there's a team that needs built, I'll put together that team, Mm. you know? And I love that, you know, his team, the whole, his whole squad was his squad, (laughs) you know, it was his big brother and dudes from their neighborhood. And I just love that. I love that so much.
0: Mm. That's why I love the aspect of doing it for yourself rather than tying yourself to a bigger corporation because you have so much more freedom Freedom in the work that you do, what you can say. You can literally just express you to the fullest. And that's what I found um, with myself with this podcast. I've had sponsors when I come on board to sponsor of the podcast, then they give me a list of things I can't save to give me money. And I say, no, <laughs> like it's rather I'm fully myself or I'm not going to have you as a sponsor on the podcast. And I find that if I start centering myself just to create more money, short-term but long-term, no, then I'm not going to sell my soul for that.
1: Yeah. And I, I, you know, a a thing that I would say too is short money or long money, I don't give a I don't care about short money, you know, I grew up selling drugs. So I know what short money is, it comes really fast, and it goes really fast. Mm. You know, long money is, I'm in that phase right now, you know, I decided for whatever reason that I want to make five hip hop EPs and release them all in one year. So I'm gonna be I'm, you know, shit's gonna be tight for me for the next year. Because I fund everything, you know, so yeah, I don't have a middleman. I don't have anybody to help me, but I'm looking five, 10 years down the road when I have five EPs of music out there that are mine. Mm. So it's like, I'm down to eat shit this year. Like, cause I'm not looking for short money. I'm looking for long money and I want something to leave my son. You know, I don't have a 401k. They don't give you that when you're in this business. So like my retirement plan is my music. You know, it's that if something happens to me, that he'll own my music and then he can do whatever he wants. If he wants to sell it, he can sell it. But, um, you know, that's just it for me is it's like that short-term money is just, I, I don't know any, I don't know any short-term money that's good. I've never seen anything good come from like a miracle check.
0: It comes <laughs> you with know problems I, and expectations and people wanting something or needing something or it comes with always a tie. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just, you know, I read some crazy st- statistic. I'm a I'm a partner in a beverage company. You know, my partner is the most humble and quiet venture capitalist of all time, man. He, uh, you know, he don't look like he's got, he's got a nice car. But other than that, like if you saw this dude walking in the store, you wouldn't know that this man was rich. And, um, you know, he was we were bullshitting last week at the end of a meeting and he was like, told me some absurd statistic, like 70% of the people that win the lottery are broke within five years. Yeah. Cause they don't know what to do. You know, they get this huge chunk of money and they're like, okay, cool. I guess I'll get a mansion. I guess I'll get a boat. We'll get an RV. I'll get a car. You know, they just start fucking off, you know? And it's like, uh, it's just, yeah, it's such a funny thing. And we see it with, with athletes all the time too. Right. Like, and um, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive to that and I'm empathetic to that because I grew up, real shitty too you know without having money so i think for a lot of these athletes you have someone that grew up in extreme poverty Mm. and then you give them 30 million dollars like they're for sure gonna fuck that up they don't know how to not fuck that up they don't have any framework (laughs) of how to deal with that yeah uh so yeah no i'm in the long game and financial literacy is really important to me Mm. That's something i teach my son too you know like
0: that's good. Yeah. That's epic because the long game can really transpire. There's so many other areas of life. Like I'll give an example of myself. Um, I used to be addicted to drugs. This year I'm eight years clean from it. But if you, if you asked me back then if I could snap my fingers and be sober, I would say no because the journey that I went on and everything I had to learn along the journey to become the man I am today taught me the lessons that I needed to really evolve in life.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think that's just it too. You know, I'm an addict too, and um, I think that's something you pick up if you stay clean. Like, I think that's why you know they say only one in four addicts get and stay clean, which is a that's a that's a sad number. Yeah. But it's like I think it a you have to want it, but I think there's just a lack of tools. Like if 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 drugs and alcohol have been a part of your entire existence. You know, you got to learn new ways to live and and you can't do that in 28 days at a rehab facility. You just can't. They can clean you up, you know, they can get your system clean, but it's, mm. you know, you're not going to learn how to live a life. You really do, you know, all of the isms that they say are so true. You got to change your playground and playmates. You got to, you got to start a life over and relearn how to live. You got to approach the world like a damn baby. Yeah. Um, People don't do that. You know, they get out and they're like, well, I want to see my friends. You know, I want to go back to the hood. And it's like, yeah, well, <laughs> that's probably not going to work.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what do you think with your journey with that man? Like, what do you think of being some of the most valuable lessons you learned on that journey that really added value to your life today? Say that one more time. What's some of the lessons you learned in that journey with becoming clean that added value to your life today?
1: Um, The incremental progress is, is, is always the way. Mm-hmm. Um, And that we're going to have days, you know, for me, Especially in you know my industry, it's it's only competitive if you look at it competitively. And I don't. I don't give a fuck what anybody's doing. Um, for me, I think it taught me how that incremental progress piece taught me how like I'm going to have days where I don't feel good and I don't feel creative and I don't feel like I'm making progress and that that's okay. That doesn't mean that we crumple up the piece of paper and throw it away you know it means that we write in the journal today today wasn't a good day you, you know we make it through without destroying the whole thing um uh you know a big thing i would say a big like um thing in the addiction community that i'm that i'm really against is the importance of the sobriety birthday like certain programs really put this emphasis on that and i've seen dudes people including myself i had 9 years sober i relapsed uh, for like three months. And, you know, in my head for that first little bit, I was like, well, I already fucked it up. Those nine years don't mean shit now because I ruined it. And it's like, no, dude. Or you stop and you say, for, for the last decade, I've been sober all but two months. You know what I mean? And and like, so I think that is like something that's really important too, that it's like, we're not perfect beings and we're not going to be. Um, and then if, The goal should just be to be a little bit better every day. Mm. Um, And that was something I really learned when getting sober is it's just like, you know, the goal today is to not drink. That's my goal, you know, and if we get around to some other shit, great, because eventually that goal becomes obsolete. It's like, well, yeah, of course, I'm not going to drink today. I don't drink anymore.
0: It's not my identity. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah so then you just that you slowly start applying that to other things you know and that was kind of how i approached music too man like when i started i was like i'm gonna give everything i got for a year and if in a year i still if in a year it looks like it's going somewhere then i'll stick with it mm. and i i still do it you know so it's like that incremental progress is so huge and it's hard to judge by a day yeah
0: 100 yeah. but it's something you look back in hindsight and you see the incremental progress, and you're like, oh, shit, those one percenters did work.
1: Yeah, and, and I think, too, as much as we hate it, you know, this is such a reoccurring theme in my music, as much as we... God, it's when we get our best. Mm. I don't... I cannot look at an extremely happy period of my life and be like, damn, I grew so much during that. It's like, no, man, it's when we're down and out. It's when we're going through getting clean it's when we're going through a breakup it's when we're going through these huge changes that feel like they're going to crush our heart mm. it's like the people that we become when we can protect our heart through that and be like no i'm gonna persevere i'm gonna make it i'm gonna make it and then we get through it and once it stops hurting we look back at when it did hurt and we're like fuck man that was where i learned to be me you know yeah. that i got so much valuable lessons out of that hurt and that pain and sorrow so like welcome it, man, you know.
0: I love what you said there about not having like the sober birthdays because I heard Tony Robbins say something about this. And he goes, what are you counting for? Like how long you lasted this time? it was something around the lines of that. But I feel like if you do count the birthdays, I'm going to talk about myself in this sense because people may relate with it. When I was counting how long I was offered for, like on the exact birthday, I was still realizing that I was still attaching that identity to myself and I haven't let it go. I was like, if I'm still attaching that addiction side to me, it's like, well, how am I going to progress and move forward if I still believe I'm that person or I have that within me? Even if it's only like five percent of that of my identity, it's still a part of me rather than accepting it as me, as a version of me in the past and then fully embracing who I am today.
1: Yeah, I love that you just said that. Um y- you know, the first time I tried to get sober, it didn't it didn't stick. Um, and I wanted it to. I really wanted it to, uh, but I was going to this AA meeting and then like, you know, there's this the corner where the old timers sit and this guy that was kind of like, you know, second in command of this AA meeting or whatever, you know, he would say, hi, my name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic. The most important thing I'll do today is not take a drink. That was how we started every time we talk. Mm. Um, I was always just like, oh, cool. That's this thing that he says. And then one time we're outside smoking a cigarette. I was like, yo, Mike, how long you been sober? He's like 37 years. I was like, and you still say that shit every day. The most important thing you're going to do today is not take a drink. Mm. That's fucking crazy, bro.
0: Yeah.
1: No wonder you work at a tire shop. Mm. Like, you're not, you're not working on shit. Your whole focus from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep is I am an addict and I better not fuck that up. You know, it's like, that's a bummer, bro. Like, There's a way through. (laughs) There is a way through that. You know, like I, you know, I get that for maybe for that first year, I'm with it, bro. You know, because like I said, you gotta learn how to live. And step one to learning how to live is I cannot live properly if I'm if I'm doing drugs and Mm. alcohol.
0: That's the thing. Yeah.
1: But goddamn, 37 years, that's the most important shit you're gonna do today is not take a drink. Like, yeah. Come on,
0: dog. (laughs) It just shows where focus goes, energy flows. If you're focusing every day and not drinking alcohol, that means every single day you're focusing on alcohol, which was once the problem, instead of focusing on something greater that can actually push you to become better. Hey, man, dude, you just (laughs) summed
1: that up so well. That's exactly it, right? It's like, well, you're still an alcoholic then, bro. Like, you're still a drunk. (laughs) You just don't drink, you know? Yeah, it's so weird. And, And, you know, they say that obsession of the mind, allergy of the body. I'm like, well, if you're sober long enough, the allergy of the body goes away. If you're not using that addiction is gone. That biological addiction is gone. Yeah. And the allergy of the mind's a choice. Or, the, you know, the, the obsession of the mind is a choice. People get over all sorts of weird obsessions. You know, you can get over this obsession and you're, you know, it's not an allergy of the body anymore. You ain't drank in 37 years. If you're sober six months, you're like mm. pretty good to go, dude. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. But I also respect, you know, I have a a really, really close friend of mine that's still super active in, in AA and NA and he's been sober 15 years. And the reason he's active in it is because he, you know, that 13th step is real huge for him. He really likes helping other addicts. Mm -hmm. You know, he likes sponsoring people. Yeah. Um, I'm too busy. (laughs) I'm too (laughs) busy. I make art, you know, and, and I also have a lot of stories of people being like, you know, when I was getting sober, your music is what kept me sober. So I'm like, I'm 13th step into. two. I just do mine different.
0: So that's like your way of giving back. Amen. Also, yeah. also with that dude saying he's an alcoholic, like it just shows the power of our words and what we say, because at the end of the day, the language that we use is self-hypnosis, which will then incorporate with our values, which will create beliefs that don't align with us, which will then create an identity that doesn't feel fulfilling to who we feel like we should be.
1: Yeah. It's Yeah. It's funny you just brought that up. I was just having this conversation with one of my fighters. Um, I was just telling him, like, bro, you got to be real careful about how much time you're thinking about what this dude could do to you. All of your energy should be thinking about what you're going to do to him. Um, there's a legendary kickboxer who's actually Australian. His name is John Wayne Parr. Um, He's fought something like 200 times, bro. This dude's a legend. Um, fought after a hip replacement. But... He was talking, he has this story of his first fight. He went into the fight being like, oh my God, you know, this, if he kicks me, holy shit, you know, if he elbows me and he goes out and they touch gloves and the fight starts and he throws a body kick and he sees the guy whimper and this light bulb goes off like, oh, I have the same body parts he does. Mm -hmm. Like he feels pain the same way I feel pain. So like if I kick him, it's going to hurt him too. Yeah. you know, and he had been training for years and then he has this first fight and it didn't hit him until then. Like, oh yeah, well, if I just hurt you more than you hurt me, I'm going to win. And it's like, uh, I, I think that's such an important thing. Like I try to always speak. I do it every, every night when I'm laying in bed, I, you know, I speak my things out loud, you know, of what I want, what my goals are, what I want to attain. I agree with you. It's a meditation and it's like, it shit's powerful. I've never seen my life is the way my life is is because I don't ever see things as well maybe if I do this I'll do this. Like I know I'm going to win. That's why I'm winning. It's like I know that if I show up and I do my best and all of my effort is going into creation and being a good man, bro, those dudes don't lose. Mm. They just don't. That's just not that's not how God works, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, he re- he he rewards good hearts that work hard. So that's it for me. And it's like, I was listening to Sad Guru the other day and he was talking about that, that very thing, right? Of like, if you say, well, yeah, I'd like, you know, I think I'd like a house, but I'm just not sure how it's going to get built. It's like, well, you shouldn't have said that part. Mm -hmm. I'd really like a house and I can see it built. I don't know how I'm going to attain it, but I can see it as built and I'm like visualizing it as done. And I think, yeah, there's so much power in that.
0: Yeah, I'm not getting so fixated on the losses. Like you said, like admit what you want, manifest it. And then if you do quote unquote lose, just use that as a lesson. Because for me, I just go for something and do it anyway. And if it doesn't go the way I wanted it to, that's just feedback for myself to become better. I do it or attempt to do it correctly the next time. And at the end of the day, like if you are focused on losses and losing, if you combine two L's, it makes a W. So either way, you're going to win as long as you I use like, it. I like that. <laughs> As long as you use this progression, one thing I say to a lot of people is pain plus reflection equals progress. So even if you do feel pain on the journey in attempt to create something great, you're going to create something even greater. If you actually reflect on the pain that will bring you progress because at the end of the day, it's just feedback.
1: Yeah, dude, I'm going to send you i I'm going to get your email address. I'm going to send you some of this new music I'm working on. That's a heavy subject in it. I, It's also also a deep belief that I have. It's like any loss that comes my way is part of my story. You know, whether you want to look at it as God's plan or karmatically, anything anything that happens to me that could be perceived as a loss is a lesson. Mm -hmm. I was missing some piece and I'm stubborn. So the only way I'm going to lose is if I lose something, like it's got to hurt a little bit for me to take notes. Mm -hmm. So I, I view the same thing. You know, like, I don't, I don't even look at life like taking L's. I'm like, oh, this is like, this is just a part of this chapter. This is something that I got to go through because the, the piece of the puzzle that I'm going to get when I understand this, I'm going to need later. And I won't know until I get there, but that's what this is right now. And I think when we start to look at our life as a, as a book, you know, that's always what I say. My book is interesting as hell. And anything, I just, anytime I'm going through something heavy, I'm like, this is a chapter. This isn't a book. You know, this is just a chapter or maybe even a page, maybe even a sentence. So it's like, you know, if we cannot attach to that. Again, it's like that short money thing. We we get so attached to this little chunk of time, but man, the story is long. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have the right attitude, um, you're not ever going to take an L. Like you said, you're just going to keep getting free game. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like, it's just finding ways to get out of your head. Like I heard you say earlier, it's about you write music, to be able to help yourself get out of your head. And that's the thing. When you do have fear in your mind, you just have to express it in some way. And then that way it becomes organized and doesn't feel so overwhelming. Because at the start, it feels like there's a million things going on. But once you start putting things into place, it cleans up. It's like your garage space. If you just got a bunch of cluster in there and it's not organized, how are you going to find the spanner? But if you go in there and you put boxes in correct places, you put shelves in there, and then you really organize it, then you're like, you know what? It's not as overwhelming as it once was because things are in correct order. But it's just really finding ways to express that.
1: Yeah, you know, a big thing that I've had to – there's a lot of people in this industry that do not like me, um, you know, for whatever reason. Um, And it used to really eat at me because, you know, there's a couple people – that, that have pretty solid positions of power, you know, that I, that were actively taking opportunities for me, you know, That were actively um, doing things that, that cost me exposure, that cost me money. Um, You know, where my mind immediately goes is like, okay, cool. I'm gonna get some boys together. And we got to go see this dude. And when I've, when I step back and quit thinking like a 16 year old kid, um i go man if that's what you're doing with your energy your precious time and energy you're going out of your way to cause harm to me Mm -hmm. like you're fucking crazy bro like fuck what i'm gonna do to you like what's god gonna do to you man you're gonna have to answer for that shit yeah and it's like it's not my it's not my job to police anybody it's not my job to check anybody you know unless you're like right here in my immediate space doing something where i absolutely have to intervene for the safety of somebody it's like it's not my job to check you you're on your path man and if what you feel is best for your path is doing dark shit then god bless you bro i'll pray for you and i uh (laughs) i I wish you well but i know that road doesn't go anywhere good even if again in the short term it might help you out it's like bro that's gonna get dark Mm. so that was a big one for me that i had to get over like i can't control what anybody says about me i can't like but you know, I I don't let very, very many people in. So to know the complexities that is me, you know, if you're speaking on that without knowing me personally, you're given a book report on a book you haven't read. So like <laughs> your book report doesn't mean shit. You haven't even read the book. So, you know, it's something that I've had to make peace with. And I think in the modern era, especially with social media, everyone kind of has to make peace with that. It's like we can't control the way people think. And we're definitely not going to be able to control if everybody likes us. That's a dumb thing to waste time on. Mm. Um, even if it is affecting you professionally, it's like, man, I believe that a day will come for everybody, you know, where they're going to have to answer for their shit. And, Great. you know, and it, 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 it might just be guilt at the end of their life, you know, where they have to examine how they lived and like, fuck, man, that was bad. Or you fuck around and get beat up. You know, it's like, it's not mine. to, It's not mine to dish out, but you're going to have to answer for it.
0: Well, I see it's mainly just perception, is projecting and most of the people are just projecting their own insecurities about actually having the awareness of it. And I do, I, I relate with what you say there too, because it's something I had to accept within myself. Like it's not our job to humble people because I feel like their own destructive patterns in life will end up humbling, humbling them themselves. That will be their answer.
1: Yeah. And it's hard to see sometimes, right? Like, especially when you see, you know, in my case, seeing someone that seemingly can't not win. You know, someone that's super, super successful. And that's really common in this industry. There's really dark, uncreative people that make really good money off people that are creative. And yeah, man, I just have to trust in that, that it's not my work. It's not my work to, to show them their work. Um, I've done it in the past and it's just made it 10 times worse. You know, like I, I have an aggressive, from what I'm told, I don't feel like I do, but, but from what I'm told, I have a very uh, uh, aggressive and heavy energy when I approach people when I'm not happy. Um, so what I've realized is that for me, if I'm upset and I see one of these people at a festival and I'm going up just to check in and be like, yo, man, what's good? I heard you were saying X, Y, Z. It's like, yeah, bro, but you're 190 pounds, your tattoo from the chin down and you always have like three fighters with you. Mm-hmm. They're going to receive that shit weird. Then the story is like, yo, this dude rolled up on me with some dudes and it was like this, even if that wasn't my intention. So it's like, what I've learned now is like, I just stay the fuck away from that, man. Like, yeah, I'm not going to check you. God will get you.
0: Mm. That's it. Eh? It's just focusing on your own journey, your own progression and what we are talking about earlier, about just focusing on the 1% every day. And I like how you said earlier, like admitting the fact that some days you wake up and you don't feel great you know and i think we all relate with that but one thing i say to people with the one percent every day you're going to have days where you don't feel like you're progressing one percent but if you look at it as a calendar year there's 365 days in the year even if 65 of those days in the whole year you have an off day you still progress 300 percent, which is a great return of investment <laughs> in the year
1: 100 <laughs> yeah and i think too it's like the um you know, like you were saying, you know, where your attention goes, your energy flows. It's like, you can't be too, if you're focused on what everyone else is doing wrong, you're probably not going to be able to tap into what you should be doing. Right. You know, it's like, it's a lot of energy to put out, you know, to be focused on what anyone else is doing. You know, I used to focus on other people winning too. How come I'm not winning like that? How come this dude gets this opportunity? How come this, you know, what a dumb thing to think about. Who gives a shit, man? Let everybody win. I want everyone to win now. Mm. And yeah, I just believe my time will come, you know? And yeah, that, that incremental progress piece, it's just like, I don't, even if it doesn't look like, even if the end doesn't look like how you or I would want it to look, it's like, there's just no question that if we're waking up every day and the goal is to be better, healthier, have a cleaner mind, you know, to be moving forward, that's only going to lead you somewhere good. there's just no way there's no way you're gonna get to somewhere where you're like this place sucks it's like (laughs) no bro that's like it's guaranteed so it's like that's the only thing you can control is yourself you know and your reaction to things and I think um I think that's a big step for for people it was a huge step for me you know is just like the world's chaos terrible shit happens um all I can control is my reaction to it you know
0: that's it, because eh? no matter what, the world's going to spin. and No matter what, the world is what it is, and it's always going to happen. It's always going to move. It just depends on what we do of ourselves, depends on our, on our experience within this world. And we get to really dictate what our experience is within this world by the focus we put on ourselves.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think it's like, for me, it's like doubling down on the things I know I'm really good at rather than spreading myself super, super thin. You know, I think that's another big piece too, is it's like making a, a list if you have to, of the things that set you most on fire. I had a, I had breakfast with my daughter this morning, you know, and she's, um, she's a senior and she's, you know, she's in this weird phase of trying to figure out what, what she wants to do, you know, and she kept talking about all this shit and I'm just like, happiness. Happiness and passion should be what you pursue. If if there's something at college that you want to pursue that you think you, that you're passionate about, that you think will provide you happiness, then we'll pay for that shit and you can pursue it. If not, if it's something else, if you want to intern and learn how to make content with a camera crew, like then run that shit. Like, I feel like the lie we were told growing up is there was such an emphasis on a job's income, like I specifically remember a class in high school where we we're kind of learning how to do a budget and we drew jobs out of a hat, right? And it's like, well, here's what your income is. And I remember my homie sitting next to me got doctor yeah. and I was like, you motherfucker, you know, like I got mechanic, you know? <laughs> and it was just like, I look back at it now and I'm like, they were, y'all were just trying to like drill in our brains that like, this should be the deciding factor of what work we pursue. Mm. Where it's like, man, I know some people that don't really have a lot of money that are stoked about their lives. Yeah. And it's like, if we're pursuing passion, again, just like we were saying, it's just like, man, that's going to lead somewhere good. If you're putting all your effort into things that you're passionate about, that's how we change the world. That's how we touch the world.
0: And mm. don't let people convince you that you can't chase your passion. Because I got uh, expelled from school in grade 11, and I got told at the time, the only way you'll succeed in life is if you get a trade. So I started building houses as like my type of work as a carpenter, and I wasn't passionate at all in building houses. I was just doing it for a paycheck, slaying my ass off in 40 degree heat in Australia. And I just bit the ball. I was like, you know what? I'm really just going to go after what I want in life and see if it sticks. And thankfully I followed my passion, didn't listen to the people that were saying to me I couldn't. And eventually I built the life I wanted, but it all became just from having that little bit of belief in myself at the start, enough to get me on the path. Then from there, the rewards that I got along the path is what made me grow and learn and become better and then really build something with my passion. But it all starts with just beginning it. And I think a lot of people think you have to be amazing to start, but you have to start so you can become amazing.
1: Dude, that's jujitsu. That is jujitsu in a nutshell. It is the hardest, most ridiculous thing you could pursue. Mm. It's like you're going to feel really bad for two years, like you're going to feel like you're not making any prayer. You're going to, I'm just sucked, dude. I just get my ass kicked all the time mm. for a couple of years. And then, okay, I'm kind of getting my feet under me. Okay. Now I'm starting to tap people like, okay, I'm like middle of the room. And then you'll have a year where you don't feel like you're getting better, but it's because everyone else in the room is feeling you get better. So they turn it up, mm. y- you know, and I'm a brown belt now. And it's like, God, dude, when I look back at that journey, it's like, you know, 90% of the people more than that. It's like 99% of the people that start don't make it to black belt. Mm. So it's like, you know, it just says something about, you know, the type of person that would pursue it. And like you're saying, I think that's just, that's just what our society does. You know, like I was such an arrogant little shit when I was in high school, man. Like I told every teacher, I don't need this shit. I'm going to be an artist. Mm -hmm. What kind of artist? Well, I'm going to paint, I'm going to do music. Like I'm going to do all of it. Like, I'm just going to be an artist. I just knew it. And, you know, I had one teacher out of a hundred that believe me. And for me, that was all it took. You know, my art teacher, Mr. Weiss, uh, who's on the intro, our album culture, the intro to that album is an interview I found with him. He's not with us anymore. And that was all it took for me. I remember the day that he told me he didn't think school was for me and he thought I should pursue art. I was like, okay, well, it's on then if you say so, you know, like if you believe in me, then it's on. Um, Yeah. Fuck what anyone else has to say. How, again, how could they know? How can you know? You know, it's like, I I think that to me is another really important thing about hip hop music. What an unlikely story. How many kids grow up in a housing project in the United States of America? You know, so to see someone grow up on Crenshaw and Slauson and turn into an absolute entrepreneur mogul, like, yeah, or Nas, you know, from Queensbridge housing project, that is an absurd place to come from. Yeah. You know, and now he owns parts of sports teams and liquor companies and made millions and millions off his music, sells twenty thousand tickets everywhere he goes. It's like, man, no one has any place to tell anybody they can't do anything. It's like our world is crazy. If you want some shit, you can go get it. Like and we have
0: many and we have many examples of that as well. Like you said, like we have many people that we have a blueprint, or we also have like because at the end of the day, success leaves clues. So when you look at someone like Nas, it's like a blueprint that you can actually create a life you want, no matter where you start from. It's just getting the right pieces together and begin that journey of 1% like we're talking about.
1: Yeah. 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 Hip hop is such a a blueprint for that, you know, and there's just been people that have done it so amazingly, you know, And, and as financial literacy goes up too, I think that's what's so cool about that older era of hip hop, you know, seeing the Nas's and Jay Z's and those guys get up around 50. Mm. It's like, you know, now they're teaching these young kids like, yo man, you need to, okay. You got your first $30 million check. Start buying property,
0: mm.
1: start buying property or Nip being like, cool, man, we're going to open a store, yeah. but start selling clothes. You know what I mean? Like in diversifying your money, it's like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. And that's not shit that's taught in, uh, you know, Crenshaw School District or the Queensbridge Housing Project. You know, they don't teach you how to be a mogul. They teach you how to sell drugs. So it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, I believe in everybody that wants to work.
0: Mm, that's why I love J. Cole's album, K.O.D. It's like one of my favorite yep. albums of all time. Like I love the concept and message and also the way I was, is really able to portray the time, like the time capsule of that time, and betrayal it in a way where it wasn't shitting on people, but really motivating people to be on a, a really good path and to not follow those patterns that are destructive. But what I'm getting that is like, what's some of your favorite hip hop albums that you, that you go back to or that you really listen to?
1: Um, Every, oh man, we're just gonna say everything Nas has ever made, especially that, you know, he dropped six albums in the last two years. So Magic One through Three and King's Disease One Two Three Masterpieces. Ilmatic um, was really important for me. That was the first record, period, that I ever fell in love with. Um Do You Want More by the Roots was a really important one. There, I had a I had a chunk of being a teenager where I was homeless and I had a discman, and that was the only CD that I had was Do You Want More by the Roots? Um man, the marathon. I, I think that's probably my most listened to. album For the past five years, I've been in the top 0.1% uh, listeners of Nipsey Hussle. It's something that I take a lot of pride in. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the marathon, uh, Victory Lap. Mm. Um, and I think Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick was really important for me. It made me, you know, I just started going to therapy uh, when that album came out. So I was processing a lot from my childhood. Um, and something about that record made a lot of sense to me listening to it. Um, uh, it really touched hit. me. Yeah. It hit me really hard. Um, let's do two more. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, I think is just one of the finest records that's ever been put out. Piece of all. Uh, yeah, my God, dude. It, it, and too to just sing your own hooks and do your own. Verse. She's one of the nastiest MCs of all time. Like, top five for me. Um, um, nah, 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 nah. And then anything Common's ever made. He's my favorite. But um, Black on Both Sides by Most Def.
0: Mm.
1: Um, Yeah. But anything common is ever made to, I mean, holy shit, dude, I could just go on and on. I love it. I love hip hop music so much. But um, yeah, black on both sides for me when I was growing up, I like being smart. You know, I read a lot and, and my surroundings didn't really uh, encourage intelligence. It encouraged toughness and being mean, you know. You should be mean uh, and tough. And that album, for me, made me realize that it was super fucking cool to be smart. And I learned how to weaponize my intelligence. And I got myself into a lot of shit, but also out of a lot of shit using that intelligence and learning how to speak um, and learning how to uh, diffuse situations um, Mm -hmm. with words rather than, than creating a melee. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah that was that was a really important one that whole era of of, of common and most deaf and Talib quality like that that whole zone was really important for me it gave me permission to be smart
0: yeah because some some albums can be like self-development books from start to finish <laughs> i find
1: yeah man you know that track mathematics like i i, I think a big reason that i struggled in school is and i and i I say this humbly, but now I can say it as an adult and I mean it. I think I was way smarter than most of my teachers. You know, like I had a U.S. history teacher that had never read Chomsky. You know, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing teaching U.S. history? You never read Noam Chomsky. And, And I remember the first time I heard his song, Mathematics. You know, and these were the type of conversations I was trying to have with my teachers, but they couldn't follow me. You know, and I was reading all the books written by all the Black Panthers, by Huey Newton and Eldridge Cleaver and Bobby Seale and Fred Hampton. Like that was what I was into. And these teachers couldn't follow me. So I felt alone a lot intellectually. And I didn't definitely didn't know any damn kids that were reading the same shit that I was reading. So, you know, when I found hip hop, it it really gave me an intellectual home. You know, it it explained the life that I was living and the things that I was around. But it also they were talking about the thoughts that i was thinking too and tying in you know philosophies that i was reading about you know and yeah man mathematics that song by most Deaf was like it's like i've been trying to tell you guys all this shit you know and he just put it in three and a half minutes for you like this is what i'm talking about like this is all real shit you know
0: yeah it's it's so great like how much music can hit home because when i was becoming sober off drugs and then going for the mental health challenges after that like I grew up listening to Cursor, which is an Australian artist. And like when he was releasing this music and what he was talking about, I felt like he was actually talking about me and my story and what I'm going through. And this music was like my psychology to overcome drug addiction and mental health challenges because I really related with him. And even last night talking about NASA, I was driving to my mate's house because um, we're going to go out for dinner. And then half time Came on on my playlist from Illmatic. I remember I played it about four times back to back and just blast the speakers, hair and the drums, the bass, and like I was just like, "This is fucking unreal."
1: <laughs> yeah, you want to hear a funny story about that record with me? Um, so I lived in this neighborhood that was there was like three or four white families in this neighborhood. It was mostly black and Bosnian refugees, and um, and we got like chartered essentially to a nice school. Uh, the school that we live right by was Hoover and my parents were like, no fucking way you're going to that school. <laughs> so there was a bus that came through the housing project in our neighborhood that took us to Johnson. But I was like maybe 10, 9 or 10 years old and we were playing catch with this football in the cul-de-sac and I heard. What is that, dude? it was like the first time I had heard something that I was like a moth to a flame in my friend Aaron's house, you know, these like shitty little section eight duplexes there's a screen door. And I walked through the screen door and I like followed that baseline to the basement. Mm-hmm. And there's like his cousin and two older kids. They were probably, you know, 16, 17 smoking a blunt, sitting on these couches. And I think of it now, and it's so funny, dude. This little ten-year-old white boy comes and sits down on the couch, and I listen to this whole record with him. Mm. You know, I just like that that baseline in New York State of Mind. I, whatever reason, dude. But that was my first memory of like, I fucking love this. I don't know what this is. Like, I've been hearing music my whole life, but holy shit, I love this. You know, yeah. and man. Yeah, I have such a special place in my heart for for Nas in general, but that record and that moment and that that was the seed that was like you're supposed to do this man. Like the thing you're feeling right now is cuz you just found your shit, you know? Like
0: <laughs> this is it.
1: <laughs> this is it for you, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. unreal because that that album like the production on it too. Like I just absolutely loved the production cuz it's like old boom bap, but at the time it was kind of like revolutionary as well because of the way he was rapping over it. And the combination of the two really just made it like a instant classic that really stands the test of time.
1: Yeah. And pulling from 1940s and 1950s jazz, Mm. you know, like that shit's wild. Um, You know, there's like multiple songs on there where his dad is the one playing trumpet. His dad was a, was a jazz musician and dipped when he was a kid and they reconnected as when he got older and, um, you know, I just that part of the story is really insane to me, too. I don't really have a relationship with my folks. You know, I, I speak with my mom, but, you know, I don't talk to my dad. And, um, you know, I just think, what a thing, man. You know, you have this guy that's just making these super jazzy beats. And then you have your dad, who's this legendary New York trumpet player, play trumpet on top of it. It's just, man, so beautiful. Yeah.
0: It's a great moment, eh? Like what? Yeah. What's some of the things that you're looking forward to at the moment? Like in your life, like maybe it's a tour coming up, or maybe it's progressing in jujitsu, or maybe it's being a dad. But what are you really looking forward to at the moment in the life?
1: Man, all of that. All of that. Every day I wake up and I'm grateful to be a dad. Um, you know, uh jujitsu, I like, you know, I'm just came back from a big shoulder injury and I feel like the best I've ever felt on the mat. Um, but I'm putting most of my energy into coaching right now. We have such a strong fight team. I love coaching these dudes. Um I love that I have the age on him now that I'm like the cool old guy that can still get down. So I'm like in the perfect age to be coaching. Um, musically though, man, I'm in a really special space right now. I'm creating it. A, it's wild, bro. I don't know what wave I'm on right now, but I, um, I hope it lasts a really long time mm-hmm. because <laughs> dude, I'm finishing a track a day right now.
0: And I can see with what you're putting up on Instagram as well. Like just every time I jump on this new video of you like rapping over a beat, I'm like, I love this. Let's go. (laughs)
1: Yeah, dude. So that's literally too, man. That's just my morning exercise. Like that's just me working out in the morning essentially. So like, um, I don't know why I have it in my head that I want to do five volumes of this hip hop thing, but volume one is getting mixed and mastered right now. Um, I just found a really dope producer for volume two. um, and then the same dudes I'm making volume one with, I'll do volume three with, but me working on volume two, we'll give them time to make volume three. Um, and the goal is to get all five of them out this year. Um, I have a single coming in with uh, my homie Jonah Kest, who is, man, the song is such a bop, but he just has such an ear for like pop melody and shit like that. And, you know, I just told him like, bro, I'm not in a real sing-songy mood these days. Like, I'm just going to spit on top of it. And he was like, yeah, do you, bro? Um, and then I have uh, a collaboration with my boy, Nathan, um, from Ayaterra. It's a song that we've been working on for four years, or it's been pretty much done for four years, but now he's going to release that as a single. And then I have a couple collabs with some, with, I have a, I'm working on a collab with one of my favorite hip hop artists of all time, but I cannot talk about it. Um, so I'm really excited about that. But yeah, bro, my, my plan this year is to absolutely flood the fucking market, like release more music than anyone has ever released in a year.
0: That's gone. Um, I'm excited.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's my goal this year is to just keep creating every day. I'm doing a tour in April and a tour in May. And then I'm going to kind of chill until I go to Australia. Cause my goal right now is to put out music, like being on the road is whatever. Um, I love playing shows. I love playing live and shit, but that's just not my focus right now. Like, I want to get this music out, you know, whatever this wave I'm on right now, I want to like bring it to everybody. So
0: ride, ride that wave. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's my goal right now is to, yeah, to capture it and share it.
0: I'm excited, brother. Call him, mate. And I'll, um, I'll also be seeing you when you come to Australia.
1: Yeah, dude, I'm excited to link with you in person. That'll be cool. Um, as, as soon as we announce those tour days, we've announced the tour, but we haven't shared the dates yet. As soon as we do, man. Um, yeah, just stay in touch with me. I'd love to have you out to show.
0: Epic, brother. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. Um, Yeah, man. We'll link up soon.
1: Cool, bro. Uh, Send me your, uh, your email address on Instagram so I can send you these songs.
0: Yeah, wicked. Will do, bro. All right. Thank you, dude. Thank you.